Welcome to The Whole Metaverse, a New York University School of Professional Studies podcast exploring the ever-expanding metaverse and Web3 landscape. Each episode, we'll talk to the pioneers, influencers, and innovators leading the way. If you want to understand and better navigate this burgeoning space, you're in the right place. Welcome to the whole Metaverse podcast, the uh, NYU podcast about Metaverse, Web3, and crypto. Dr. Elizabeth Haas and myself, Pierre Gervois, are your co-hosts. Today, we're having two guests. We're having Misha Liebman, the Chief Product Officer at Arsenal, and Matthew Donnerstick, the Chief Marketing Officer also at Arsenal. So Arsenal is a digital art studio that is part of the Artist Rights Society, the organization in the United States that is promoting and protecting the artist's rights and copyrights and reproduction uh, rights. They're doing truly extraordinary work. Uh, In particular, they have contributed to the launch of uh, a collection of NFTs by the iconic artist Frank Stella and that was a fabulous interview, and Dr. Hass and I just encourage you to watch this interview. Thank you. So well, welcome on the, uh, the whole Metaverse podcast, the, the NYU podcast. The co-host or Dr. Elizabeth Hass, professor at NYU, myself. So we have today uh, Misha Liebman, uh, Chief Product Officer of Arsenal, and Matthew Donnerstick, the Chief Marketing Officer of Arsenal as well. It's the uh, exclusive digital platform from the Artist Rights Society. Can I ask you, uh, either Matthew or Misha, or maybe both of you for just a couple of minutes to introduce the Arsenal project? So what are you doing at Arsenal? Sure. Maybe I could just give you a little bit of a background how it all got started. So Artist Rights Society is a 35-year-old company that was started by Katarina Feder's father, Ted Feder, uh, about 35 years ago. And they represent intellectual property of over 120,000 artists in the United States. And ever since, I guess, its connection to this whole NFT blockchain side has to do with the fact that once there was that people sale and uh, the Pandora's box was opened, they started getting a lot of inquiries in terms of, you know, artists and estates and foundations trying to understand the technology a little bit better, trying to understand if uh, there is some possibilities in terms of producing and creating works using this technology. And at that time... I was still with Snark.art and they just contacted us to inquire about what is possible. And uh, earlier last year, I formally started collaborating with Arsenal, which was this digital platform out of Artists' Rights Society, in terms of starting to at least start a conversation with these artists and the states and foundations as far as, far as explaining the technology and introducing it. And then um, we got an inquiry from Frank Stella Studio, and this was our opening project in September of last year, which was, I mean, it, it's hard to put it into words. First of all, because of like 
I never thought I would be ever working with Frank Stella on the digital art project. And also it falling on our laps as being the first project. It, it was an opportunity that is not something I could have said no to. It's hard to imagine me saying no to such a chance. And so we released that project last year and uh, it was extremely well received. And it was just amazing to work with Frank. And we could talk more about that project as far as how an artist who has been essentially over the past five decades reinventing himself and experimenting with different mediums and different ways of presenting work. You know, the fact that he chose Arsenal as the platform, but also how open he was in terms of experimenting with the Ultimate Art Project. It was quite spectacular. I don't know, Matt, do you want to add anything? No, it's a chance of a lifetime. I was just at his studio yesterday. We did a studio visit with Zebrang Verstig, our, our new artist we're working with, as well as Thank You X. Uh, together, we came up and just visited, and it was nice to see him again. Yeah, the 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 artwork's amazing. It's, I view it as a amazing like uh, NFT because it's it can't exist outside of NFT. There's there's these uh, digital files that he made. Um, it's like a, a bundle of 3D assets and objects, and you can 3D print them. I mean, you can 3D print them in real life for personal use. Frank gives you the rights to remix them, so you can take his designs and make them into your own, which is really unusual for an artist of his legacy. So like when you buy a Frank Stella Geometries NFT from us, like they're on the secondary market now from OpenSea, you can get all these rights with it. We just, we love that. Yeah. Our current project now is uh, with this artist, Zebring Burstig. You can go to our website, arsnl.art. We just launched it this week. All the tokens, all the artworks are, are on the secondary market right now. I had a couple questions because in some ways, he, I almost think he was as big as Bopel in this whole movement in the sense that it was an established artist that stepped in. And really, you know, when people heard that, everyone changed their views. And I don't know if you felt that. I mean, you were at the center of that wave. Um, and I just was wondering, when we say that, oh, it got $64 million, oh, yeah, but it was still junk. Frank Stella's in it. Oh, okay, now I care. I don't know if, you know, you had that sense too. I mean, uh, probably post people you started seeing some uh, established artists at least starting the conversations and certainly estates and foundations, but uh, also a lot of the contemporary artists began experimentation. There weren't many and maybe to some extent, the downturn in this whole crypto market is a very positive thing because a lot of kind of comments we were hearing in 2021 from artists who are more established in the traditional art space was that they they just saw a lot of very low quality work out there. And there was certainly a lot of money being poured into the space, but they felt like they didn't want to jump on the bandwagon, especially with everything, with all the calamity and everything that was happening. With Frank specifically, because Frank was such a huge proponent of resale royalties for a very long time, and it was perhaps one of the bigger reasons why he wanted to try this project. Because at that time when we were releasing it, resale royalties was the de facto rule in the space. And it was very inspirational that this whole community of artists and technologists really took that as the default rule that 
artists should be remunerated when their art art is resold. Like it was actually interesting time because as soon as we released the project, first marketplaces began to appear that were treating resale royalties like you would a tip in a coffee shop where you could say, no, I don't want to pay this percentage, but I'm willing to throw a couple of bucks. And so for that, uh, specifically because we were releasing that project and we knew how much it was important to Frank that this is done properly in terms of resale royalties, uh, we created these smart contract mechanisms at that time to protect Frank Stella's work. But even when we were interviewing him after the fact, in all of this 50-year career, this project was the very first time Frank Stella received a resale royalty. So for all these millions of dollars that are sold on auctions, it has never occurred to him. And so this was the first project that was released where he was actually getting royalties. And when asked about it, he said, and I need to find exactly how he phrased it, but his point was, look, if by me doing this, it actually pushes the needle and more artists could begin to benefit from you know getting uh resale royalties i you know that was his goal that was the idea you know so it's not even him receiving it but and it goes to your question liz because he threw his name in this ring and with that specific objective he wanted other artists more traditional artists in the space to potentially look at it and treat it seriously, but also the whole aspect of resale royalties now becoming a trend in the space, something that a lot of American artists could not take advantage of. All of a sudden, that opened those doors. The second thing, again, this is just, I'm an outsider. I mean, to me, Frank Stella was two fundamental shifts. One was that it was a serious thing for artists, but the second one was that it gave... Frank Stella, a connection to the young generation. And he always talks about art being a, you know, this profound connection between the artist and the, and the audience. And so it gave him a new audience to connect with. And I don't know if he talked about that at all with you. I think that actually was a, uh, there's a nice little video. It's uh, maybe Matt can uh, find the link to it as, became actually extremely interesting at the, at one moment we came one saturday morning to his um house in uh, west village and because frank gave the rights to the collectors to remix his works we announced immediately after the release we said we're going to visit frank if anybody has any remixes that they want to share with frank we will present it to him uh, on saturday morning in something like 24 hours, we had something like 70 or 80 remixes uh, produced that we showed to him. And, you know, in, in Frank's basement, there is this kind of digital display. It's, it's enormous. It's something like seven or eight feet tall and 20 feet wide. And on that giant display, uh, we started presenting a lot of these remixes. And it was just an hour kind of almost conversation where he was looking at these remixes, trying to, uh, he treated it almost like a conversation. Like he put something out into the world and it started coming back and it was actually quite interesting. And sometimes he would look at something and say, you know, in a million years, I would never make something like this, but, and then there would be a long pause. And then he would say, but I can't stop staring at it. 
And then it was interesting to also hear him talk about how he looks at a lot of these geometries as something that needs to be produced physically in the analog space. And so some of these remixes, he understands that they cannot be created in a physical space, but it's interesting that how people are exploring it digitally. He definitely like also joked, he said, that idea is great. Like if I take, if I take that idea and use it as my own, well, I have to pay them resale royalties. Like he, he was having a lot of fun with that. It might be really interesting to look at what Nike did and for him to parallel that. I don't know if you're familiar with how they, you know, basically put all their IP out for anybody to use, including the Swish. And you can create digital shoes and they take a fraction of it. But if they want to create the physical shoes, they give you, they buy the rights to it from you. And it's, it's, it's like a whole platform. I can imagine him engaging in those conversations too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's a lot of things that right now we're getting, because Arsenal, I mean, we're right now sitting in uh, offices of Arsenal's Rights Society, and certainly there's a lot of uh, requests from various um, athletic uh, wear and other types of wear producers that are trying to enter digital space. And so they're creating a lot of these digitals, right? So it's uh, where a sneaker can exist both as a digital and physical sneaker. And artists are taking uh, like a very unique role in these types of collaborations because all of a sudden these brands are looking for artists to, I don't know, to market the, whatever it is that they're trying to sell, I guess. Uh, it, it's, it's an interesting uh, new dynamic that kind of exploded, I think, initially with this board Apes Yacht Club, uh, I guess from 2021, when they released, the, uh, they gave the rights with every, to every token holder to be able to remix it. And then I think brands and artists started using that as a way to promote their work or to potentially collaborate and create something new. I have a, a question, and it's, it's also a concern about the enforcement of royalty because we we have been listening to debates recently following uh, what OpenSea did and saying that well they might not enforce it was not their job to enforce royalties and uh, so w artists have some concern about the actual enforcement of royalties we saw the emergence of new marketplaces where you can skip the royalties so how do you make sure at Arsenal and knowing that you use OpenSea to be 100% sure that artists do indeed receive their royalties on the secondary. We thought about this right when the project launched because when we were launching the Stella sale, that's when Pseudoswap, um, that marketplace, said that, okay, we're going to make royalties optional. You don't have to pay them. And so We uh, worked with Frank and in our smart contract itself, we created this idea of a block list. So a marketplace like Pseudoswap that didn't enforce them, you could block that marketplace. So this, this kind of worked at first. It mostly went under the radar. Like we brought it up, it got a little attention, but then like other marketplaces like X2, Y2, and I think Look looks rare. They started making it optional as well. So we were like on top of it. And then around end of October of last year, OpenSea announced they would start to pivot to that direction. So we like 
rallied the troops, you know, and anyone involved in the scene, like Jason Bailey and Matt Kane and Sparrow and Tyler Hobbs and Dandelion, as well as uh, Peter Stella, Frank's son. Like, we all came on a, a Twitter live together and, and discussed this. Eventually, OpenSea, like, kind of wavered, and now they're basically copying this blur model where um, it's optional unless you do this, like, block list style. I think we were the first to use it. Others use it since. Maybe it's just in the air. But that's like one option, at least. I mean, the way to give uh, artists the agency to control this, and just so that, you know, for those that don't understand how it works, uh, so the tokens, they are created by the artist. And so the artist can uh, create their own smart contract. The smart contract ultimately is a set of functions that some are public and some are private that describe what you can and cannot do with the artwork. But for all of the logic related to trading and running auctions or any kind of sales, those smart contracts are typically created by the marketplaces. And so the way it usually works is that the token has this right written into it that gives the marketplace the ability to manage the token on behalf of the collector or the artist. And this is where there is that kind of moment where if you don't create what Matt described as this block list or create some mechanisms that allow you to control what happens to the token and you leave it completely in the hands of the collectors, you basically cede all control over the artwork. It's kind of very similar to the physical space where if you sold the artwork and it's somewhere in the world, you don't really have any control over how it's sold and whether any royalty will be collected on your behalf. This block list or any kind of mechanic that can be added initially when the artwork is released is really the only kind of level of control that an artist could give themselves and have more agency over potentially denying marketplaces for you know from trading it if they don't respect the rules that are written into the contract. In the Spring Stella, there's also the collector's agreement that's also attached. That's one of the files that's attached to the geometry NFTs that actually describes that it's uh, it's a collector's responsibility to ensure that, uh, you know, a royalty is remitted to Frank. But on top of it, we do have the ability to block list marketplaces. And actually, recently, when OpenSea again pivoted, we had to work with them to ensure that our contract survives this latest pivot and the royalties would be enforced. And the only reason our contract got this legacy treatment is because we actually had, we kind of met their requirements. In other words, that there is this op, what they call operator filter that's included in the smart contract for Frank Stella. And that's what gives Frank the ability to potentially block any marketplaces that don't respect these rules. Is the composition of your firm primarily legal? I would say, especially with Artist Rights Society, uh, and Artist Rights Society, the way it works is it's, uh, you know, there is no, uh, when artists or foundations and estates join Artist Rights Society, there is no real kind of exclusivity there, but they do offer a lot of this kind of like pro bono legal advice and help the artist release their works in the right way. Arsenal, which is spun off of IRS, clearly has a lot of this kind of legacy that 
is inside our DNA. So every project we certainly treat seriously from the legal perspective. And there's a general counsel for Artist Rights Society that helps us craft the collector's agreements that come with the NFT, but also a lot of thought goes into how potentially the future of licensing and artist rights essentially transition into this digital space. And Arsenal, we view ourselves as two, like we split into in two directions. One direction is a studio in uh, where, you know, Matt and I, we work quite a bit with where we are mostly are focusing on production and helping artists produce works. But there is certainly another dimension to Arsenal where we work with artists and brands on various types of licensing. So it's, it's a combination of production and license coming together. Yes. My other question was, Matthew, you, you were talking about what you're working on now, and I pulled you back to Frank Stella. I don't want to lose what you're doing now and what's happening. Oh, no, we're, we're really, like, we put a ton of work into it. It's, it's really gorgeous. This uh, artist, Zibing Burstig, he's with Bitforms Gallery. He's been making digital art since the late 90s. He's just been a pioneer in it. For, for decades now in the digital art space. This is his like main Genesis uh, NFT that we're doing with him. And um, it's uh, collectors, uh, and you can go right now to like OpenSea and grab one. Um, you get an empty canvas. And what you can do is uh, go to our website and watch in real time artwork being generated. And the artworks, like they look gorgeous. They're, they're um, these uh, kind of surreal compositions over what's trending. So if the weather is really bad or if something happens with a celebrity or a bomb drops or, you know, diff- it doesn't matter like how important or unimportant, you know, whatever is trending becomes in our shared consciousness. And then collectors can grab that moment in time and cement it to the blockchain. So we have, uh, you can watch a real-time feed. It's on, it's streaming live 24-7. You can watch the artworks being generated. And uh, each one kind of exists for about two hours. There's one every 10, 15 minutes coming in. And you have two hours to grab that. And if, it, if you don't grab it, the moment's gone. And then we're, we're running it for a year. And at the end of a year, that's our collection. And it's shaped by people like you. If you're a collector in, in this time and era, you know, grab one and, and you'll be part of this collection, you know. I would just only add... I mean, I've wanted to work with Zebron ever since we launched Snark. Like, I remember when we, we launched the first project with Eve Sussman, 89 Seconds at Alcazar in 2018. Uh, Zebron came over and he started showing us his work. And it was just uh, incredible how almost this like Web3 ready it was. It was ideal for uh, the space because at that time, our kind of thought process of creating digital works was about pushing the boundaries in terms of what digital art in this Web3 space could be like. We always thought that the experience really needs to begin not before the sale, but after. It's almost like artwork becomes a key towards the experience. And um, and so we were looking a lot of at, through a lot of his work earlier this year, and uh, we stumbled on this one project that where he essentially would check on Google every 10 or 15 minutes on different subject areas, what is trending, like 
Did anybody get slapped at the Oscars? Uh, was there uh, an earthquake uh, somewhere in the world? Uh, it was kind of this great algorithm when we started looking at it. It started. It was looking at different geographic regions, different uh, news categories. And then once it identified a certain trend, it would go out to Getty Images and start looking for images to potentially collage into these painterly abstractions that are generated. And then after the 15-minute cycle is over, it goes out and looks for more. And uh, we think that over the course of the year, we'll generate about 35,000 of these collages, but they only last, as the name of the project says, for a limited time. And for these uh, two hours, if the moment is not curated by the collectors of these empty canvases, it's gone, just like every other moment. And when we think back to 2022, there's maybe some memories that we have of 2022. Uh, it might be that, I don't know, like famous slap, or uh, it might be the World Cup, or it might be, uh, you know, the war in Ukraine. And these moments right now, I have a hard time actually thinking through every significant event that happened. But this project essentially allows these collectors to cement the moments that they either have emotional connection to, or it might be that they're attracted to the way that the uh, algorithm ultimately collages and paints over the art. I'm super pleased that Zebran agreed to work with us on this and uh, super excited because, again, I don't think anything like this was created yet. And so I'm really glad that we managed to pull this project together to create this type of mechanic and hopefully others will look at it and maybe create something else that's similar or different, but can start thinking of these NFTs as something more than just digital scarcity and provenance and more as an experience. I have a, a provocative question for two uh, persons working for a digital art gallery. At the beginning of 2021, Everybody was excited by NFT art because the idea was to connect collectors directly with artists without any middleman, without any gallery. That was the core concept, a decentralized art work. And now we see, we see the emergence of NFT galleries who are very well curated, like the work you do, like the work ours are doing. So we see that there is a reconstitution of the old order of the brick and mortar art world with art galleries and curators. And we realize that we actually need these people and need this organization to avoid the kind of chaotic situation of 2021 when we saw so many stuff outside. And for a collector, it was like impossible to figure out what to collect. And so how do you reconcile this dream of decentralization when we see a re-centralization right now? Yeah, I will probably pass this question to Matt, but I will preface his response with the following. So when uh, in 2021, we did this project together while I was still at Snark called Shitcoin with artist Cassils. And uh, one of the questions that was posed by the project is whether or not it's truly possible to be anonymous as an artist in the space and not have 
any kind of presentation by a gallery or another intermediary that can try to ultimately market your work? Can an artist truly be completely anonymous, put their work out there, and there's going to be this anonymous body of collectors that will be able to look at the work and either collect it or not, depending on you know what they see. But the project was actually quite brilliant. Uh, it was released in the summer of 2021. And Matt, uh, can you please uh, describe the project? And it was it, it sort of answers your question, Pierre, whether or not it's truly possible. Because I could tell you it was hell. Like it was like we were dealing with an artist that, you know, Cassius is a very serious performance artist, very well known, but releasing work by Cassius anonymously was extremely tough. You know, to do it well, I think it's very difficult. And I think that's where the bottleneck happens. It's just very difficult. It's possible. Basically, the it's it's where, like, in my imagination, sure, this model does exist, that uh, the works can be presented and acquired anonymously, and you don't need these uh, middle third parties. But practically, I don't think we're quite there yet. Or potentially, maybe there hasn't been yet created a decentralized mechanism for something like this to happen. Perhaps in the future, we could have almost like not galleries necessarily, but this function of like some kind of a curator or almost like a decentralized promoter of the work that could facilitate that exchange between the artist and the collector. But I don't know, unless the artist has incredible social following and ability to ultimately market their work, whether that world that you're describing can exist right now. But Matt, uh, maybe uh, you could talk about Cassius. Well, hold on. I would just, I would add that like, we're not a gallery. We're a production studio. So our our arm is to amplify the artist's capability. And we were just, like I said, hanging out with Thank You X yesterday. And he was talking about this as well, like in the van ride, the two hour van ride. And, you know, uh, he has the ability to just produce directly to his audience. He has tens of thousands of followers in social media. And so, and if he already has the ability to make it, he can just produce directly. But like in this case with Zebrin, the, the infrastructure required was quite significant. So you definitely need to lean on a production studio to help you. We're not a gallery, but yeah, I mean, galleries do help with exposure. Do you need it? No. If you have your own followers, you can market directly that way. If you're uh, more beginning, it's going to be harder, like, because who are you selling to? Your friends, um, probably, right? If you're totally anonymous, like white male artists tried to do <laughs> under the nom de plume white male artist, that was the Castles Project last uh, two years ago with Shitcoin. I mean, that was tough because... Um, we were um, doing a performance art, you know? But that said, that whole project, we had Philip's auction house attached to it. So everyone knew Philip's auctioneers were attached to white male artists. So even then it was tough because we didn't say the name. But I mean, I don't know. I, I think everyone just will have a different blend. You're never going to get away from aggregators, right? Like <laughs> a gallery in the Web3 almost becomes like an aggregator or even like on a marketplace like OpenSea, like you want to be on their front page. How do you get on their front page? Well, they select you. How do they select you? Well, you either pay them more or they just really love it. Like it's hard to escape just kind of natural human tendencies to get up in front. 
but definitely, yeah, you can market your own like manifold contracts on Web3. You can publish uh, NFTs yourself. You can produce them yourself. What do you think about manifold? I mean, you recommend artists to use manifold in the first place? There's many platforms out there right now that uh, facilitate the creation of tokens, but that's more like a technical aspect. It's like going to a store and buying a canvas for your work. So you could produce the work. You ultimately still, Manifold is not necessarily going to promote or sell your final work. The Manifold contracts, we, we certainly like looked at them and uh, they're doing great. And uh, I love their whole interface and how easy it is to ultimately create and publish your tokens. But once they're created, it, that's where I think uh, the issue arises is ultimately how do you sell this work? And that's that's the difficulty. I, I don't think it's difficult at the moment, which is a huge difference from like 2018 when we we're starting Snarky. You ultimately couldn't create a token unless you had help from developers or studios like ours. Now you can. You still need to be careful in terms of how and what you're creating because uh, like these issues like resale royalties, oftentimes they're not included in the standard contracts. And if you want to do something more customized or you want to create some additional experience, like what we're describing with Zebran's work, where the token can dynamically change, these types of projects still require some customization. But uh, if you have a work that um, doesn't need those types of mechanisms, sure, you you know, I think uh, their contracts are uh, good and uh, I would certainly not disagree with anyone using them. Imagine it's three years from now and you really transformed the ecosystem. There's an article in the Times or whatever people are reading at that moment about what you did. What would it say if everything went as you're imagining the world to go? Oh, that's a uh, that's very tough question, Liz. Um, um, we didn't tell you they were going to be easy. We helped make great art and contribute to the positive ex experience of life. That, that would be the main goal. <laughs> that we weren't learning, that we didn't just take a, a Picasso and, and reprint it and call it an NFT, that we actually made really uh, interesting projects would be nice. Just to add to what Matt is saying, uh, there's a little bit of this kind of dystopia that I feel like the world is trending towards with the kind of just the amount of digital consumption that is happening uh, around the world. We're all walking with mini computers in our pockets and uh, we have almost like a schizophrenia uh, relationship uh, where we have our real lives and then we have our digital lives. And uh, you have Facebook that's inventing our future metaverse and there's this kind of talk how we're all going to be ultimately living in this uh, beautiful digital reality. And I certainly hope that the artists and artworks that we help produce can help shape that in a way that is more artistic, more interesting, where the experiences that are ultimately created is not just, you know, aimed at you know, spiking our dopamine levels because people are liking something that we're posting, uh, that there is um, a little bit more thoughtfulness and poetry involved in our kind of digital lives. But maybe also, I love projects that bridge uh, digital and analog worlds, projects that actually take people away from the screens and take us back to 
you know, the real world, because I don't think there is anything better than uh, a real physical world. We need to really meet with each other. And I hope uh, one day all four of us can sit in a room together and physically have this discussion. I mean, perhaps uh, I do personally, I'm really into more interactive type of art and things that are more engaging, where artists ultimately create almost these gamified type of projects that bridge, you know, thousands of people, millions of people through the artwork that, you know, truly elevating the digital experience in an artistic way and that the artist will push the direction of where this technology is going and how art is created and to put a lot more examples out there through the work that we're producing so that there is other artists and other studios that will take that and make it better, make it more interesting. That's kind of where I want some of our legacy to lie. That's uh, what Stella said, actually. You know, maybe they can make it better when, when he granted over the re- remix rights. That was a nice moment with him when he said that. Thank you so much. We, we could stay hours and hours with you, but we're already way past <laughs> the time. So Matthew and Misha... On behalf of NYU, Dr. Hass and myself, I want to thank you very much for all these wonderful uh, insights you gave us about what Arsenal and the Artist Rights Society is doing in crypto arts. So thank you very much for all these information and, and have a wonderful day. I appreciate this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Whole Metaverse, a podcast from the New York University School of Professional Studies Metaverse Collaborative. The Whole Metaverse is produced by Make More Media. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe for more content. For more information about the NYU Metaverse Collaborative, please head to www.sps.nyu.edu.